Uh, it'll be a good idea to uh, have your Bibles open at uh, James chapter 1 uh, as I'm going through so that uh, you can check what I'm saying is on the money. Before we get going, why don't I pray? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Please help us now to not only hear what you say, accept it humbly, but to do it. Please help me to explain your word clearly and help us all to respond in faith. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. About 10 years ago, when I first came to Sydney, I was at a church one Sunday morning and a guy I knew from year eight uh, rocked up. His name was Matt as well, uh, Matthew James also. He'd just recently come to Sydney too and from that moment on he decided I'd be his best mate. He'd constantly say to me that I was his best mate. He'd introduce me to strangers and friends and even his family as his best mate. At first I didn't know what to think. Uh, I couldn't see how he could think we were best mates, let alone say it. I thought his belief we were best mates was, well, a bit up the creek. When it came to best mates, I didn't think our relationship was the real deal. How do you know your relationship with God is the real deal? How do you know you love God? I envy Christians who can talk about God as if he's face to face. Who can say they were talking to God the other day and he told them to pray about such and such or go and do such and such. I envy them because when I pray, most of the time it feels like I'm speaking into thin air. And when I'm reading the Bible, it feels like reading a book. Not God speaking to me face to face. I'm reading the Psalms at the moment, and as heartfelt as they are, I can't say it's like sitting down with one of you over coffee and getting to know you. Face to face. It's hard to feel like my relationship with God is the real deal. Because, well, it's not only because I can't see God and I don't feel that he's there, but also because I know what I'm like. A while ago, I had a very close friend, and except for Meg's, my wife, I've never felt closer to someone. I really thought a great deal of him, and I'd tell him so often. I believed I loved him. I thought our friendship was for real. But it fell apart. I thought we'd be able to talk things through, but we weren't. And he ended up telling me in a letter that believing we were good mates was way off. My relationship with him wasn't the real deal. He wasn't convinced I had his best in mind. He wasn't sure I really cared about him. How then can I be sure I love God? I let down those I can see, let alone God who I can't see. How do you feel calling God your friend? Is your relationship with God the real deal? Well, if you're anything like me, you probably feel a lot, a lot of the time like a bit of a fake and find it hard to believe you've got any real relationship with God. How can we know we love God? How can we know? Well, now, you may not remember, but a while ago... I started, or we started together, looking at the letter of James. And we looked at the first 12 verses of chapter 1. 
And we found out that God uses trials and sufferings to test our faith, to make our, strong, our faith stronger in Jesus. And the reason why testing our faith is so important is because faith in Jesus is the difference between going to heaven and going to hell. Faith in Jesus means having eternal life. So persevering under trials and suffering strengthens our faith. And as a result, is God's way of shoring up eternal life for us. Take a look at verse 12, chapter 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 12. Everyone got it? Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. If someone perseveres in trusting Jesus while suffering, they'll get the reward of faith, the crown of life, eternal life, the eternal life promised to those who love God. But if persevering under suffering is loving God, what does it actually look like to persevere while suffering? What should our relationship with God look like when we're suffering? How do we really know we love God? Well, in verses 13 to 25, James goes on to tell us to trust in the gospel and do what it says. When we do this, we've not only got eternal life, we can know that we love God. And to start off with, James makes sure we don't misunderstand the place of suffering in our life. Suffering is God's way of making our faith stronger, not to push us away from him, and definitely not to tempt us to sin. Verse 13. Take a look at verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Now, the second word in this verse that's translated tempted here is from the same root word that's translated trial in verse 12. So a better way of reading the verse is when being put to the test or to the trial, no one should say, God is tempting me. When suffering, we shouldn't think God's tempting us to sin. It's impossible for God to be evil. So it's impossible that he'd want, us to, want to tempt us, anyone to sin. Why would God tempt us to do something he hates, something that pushes us away from him? Why would I get Megs, my wife, to tattoo her ex-boyfriend's name across her forehead? just doesn't make sense. If there's any reason why we're not close to God, it's because of us, not God. Even when God is testing us through suffering, he's not the reason we sin. We are. Verse 14. Verse 14. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. It gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. The consequence of sin is death. doesn't matter if it was done in pleasure or in pain. Often I think when we're suffering, we tend to see bad behaviour as more acceptable, more understandable. If we're feeling really down, often we feel justified in indulging in food or self-pity because it distracts us from the pain. Or if a friend has let you down, it's easy to gossip about them behind the back because you just need to get it off your chest anyway. Or if you're in a lot of physical pain, it's easy to justify being rude to people. But sin is sin is sin. 
doesn't matter when or why we sin, the consequence is death. Even when we're suffering, we are the reason we sin, not God. So we, we shouldn't be sucked into thinking that suffering is bad for us and that it makes us sin. God doesn't use suffering to push us away from him. He uses it to strengthen our faith so that we get eternal life and know that we love God. What's more, it's obvious God doesn't want to push us away because he's given us the gospel, the word of truth, the word that promises us eternal life, the word that it teaches us the way to love God. So anything that strengthens our faith in the gospel is good, even trials and sufferings, because God only ever gives good gifts. Verse 16, take a look at verse 16. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Even though suffering might make us think God is treating us badly, we shouldn't be deceived. God only ever gives good gifts. And James points to the fact that God created the stars or the heavenly lights here, and to show that God is the all-knowing, to show that God is the all-knowing and all-powerful creator. You're deceived if you think you're going to understand all of God's ways. But one thing we do know about God, James says here, is that he doesn't change. He doesn't change like a shadow. He's reliable. He's trustworthy. So because God gives good gifts, he will only ever give good gifts. Even if we don't understand why we suffer, God does. And he only ever gives good gifts. And the greatest evidence of this is the gospel. Because when our, where our sin gives us birth into eternal death... God gives us birth into eternal life through the gospel, the word of truth. Verse 18. Take a look at verse 18. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. The word of truth here is the gospel of Jesus. And it's through believing in Jesus that people are the first fruits or kind of like a down payment or foretaste of God's big plan for all of creation. God has given us the gospel, the word of truth that gives us eternal life. It's through faith in the gospel that we love God. As we suffer, if we trust in the word and do what it says, we've got eternal life and we can know that we love God. Isn't that great? If we trust in the gospel and do what it says, we've got eternal life to look forward to. And we can know now that we love God. And so James goes on to unpack a bit what it looks like to trust in the gospel. When we listen to the word of the gospel, we need to humbly accept it. Take a look at verse 19. Verse 19. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. James says we need to be quick to listen to the word of the gospel. Be slow to speak, not presume to be a teacher, as he says later on in chapter 3, and humbly accept the gospel. 
It may be hard to accept the gospel when we're suffering. Uh, it's sometimes hard to see how suffering and God's blessings go together. And it, and it might even make us angry. But James is saying that this kind of anger comes from evil thinking. James is saying that we need to listen to the gospel, not to the evil in the world, which is always opposed to the gospel, because the gospel can save us. There will be eternal life for those who humbly accept the gospel and resist the world. When we humbly accept the word, it shows we love God. Trusting in the gospel shows we love God. Then James goes on uh, to say we shouldn't just listen to the word of the gospel. We've got to do it. We need to do more than merely accept the word. We need to do what it says. Otherwise, we forget what it is and what we're on about. Take a look at verse 22. Verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Well, this great little analogy shows what it means to listen to the word. It's not about... uh, how much time is spent listening to the word. It's about remembering. You could listen to the entire series of the great expository preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones, on the letter to the Romans, which is hours and hours of scintillating, uh, scintillating listening. But if you don't remember any of it, you've wasted your time. If you listen to the word and don't do it, you've wasted your time. You're listening superficially. If you don't take time to really impress the word upon your mind and your emotions or think about it regularly, you forget what the gospel is and what you're on about. The comedian who forgets the punchline just isn't funny. It's embarrassing. In the same way, the Christian who forgets the gospel is the one who forgets what they're on about. But James goes further and he says, eternal life comes from listening, remembering and doing what the word says. Loving God means trusting in the word and doing what it says. Verse 25. Verse 25. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Well, the perfect law that gives freedom is the word of truth. The blessing here is the same blessing as that in verse 12, the future blessing when Jesus comes back, the blessing of salvation, the blessing of the crown of life, the blessing of eternal life, the blessing promised to those who love God. James is saying that by trusting in the word and doing what it says, we'll be saved and get eternal life. This is how we know we love God by trusting in the word and doing what it says. We can't say we love God merely by saying we believe in him. Anybody can do that. Even demons can do that, says James later on in the the letter. I said I love that close friend of mine, but I let him down one too many times. And his letter pointed out what I said and what I did, well, they just didn't seem to match up. So he found it hard to believe me when I said we were good mates. 
And it's the same when it comes to believing in the gospel. God wants our love for him to be for real. What we say has got to match up with what we do. Remember Matt? Matt, Matthew James. <coughs> the bloke who kept calling me his best mate. Well, not long after meeting him again, I, I broke up with a long-term girlfriend and I was so cut up about it, I had to go and stay with my folks for a while to get over it. They lived in Newcastle at the time. Well, after hearing what had happened, Matt dropped everything, hopped in his car and drove straight to my folks' place. I was asleep when he got there, so he waited. <laughs> he waited till I woke up and then he listened to me for hours. He didn't say anything really, and that was great, he was just there. And he was a real comfort. Well, from then on, I didn't think of that weird when he called me his best mate. Because he'd shown he was. What we do has got to match up with what we say. God wants our love for him to be real. And to show it, we've got to do what he says. This isn't rocket science, it's pretty simple. And it makes sense. When it comes to relationships, you know someone loves you if they trust you and show it by their actions. Even when things are a bit rough. You know you love God when you trust in his word and do what it says. And this is a great encouragement for us here tonight. Particularly if you're suffering and you're unsure whether your relationship with uh, God is for real. If you feel like a phony and a bit of a joke to be calling God your friend or saying you love him, well, think about this. Do you accept the word of truth, the gospel of Jesus? Do you believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be and that he died for your sins? Do you read God's word, the Bible? Do you listen to it explained regularly, like what I'm doing now? Do you take on board what it says? Do you struggle with your own sinfulness? Do you struggle to know what to do with the world's influence over you? Do you have any love for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you pray at all? If you said yes to any of these... Be encouraged. Even though you might have a face-to-face -face experience of relating to God, there's a relationship there. You're not imagining it. You do love God. What's more, it shows that God's chosen to save you. He's chosen to give you eternal life. Isn't that wonderful? So keep going. Keep trusting in the word and doing what it says. That's how you can be sure you've got eternal life. That's how you can be sure you know you love God. Why don't I pray? Dear Heavenly Father, thanks for your word, the Bible. Thanks that the whole Bible makes us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Thanks that the word of, the tr of truth, the gospel of your son, our Lord Jesus Christ, promises the great hope of eternal life and a sure way to know our relationship with you is the real deal. Thanks that the whole Bible is useful for teaching, 
rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Please help us to keep trusting in the gospel and reading your word and doing what it says so that we may be confident of our love for you, but more importantly, of your great love for us in the gospel of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.